This show is brought to you by Hunter Creation, helping you find print and online marketing solutions that fit your needs. Visit them at huntercreation.com. Locavore, farm to table, slow food, artisan foods can be found amidst all these movements. As we get in touch with the roots of our food, our appreciation for what it takes to make truly delicious cuisine grows. Today, we'll be talking with Lita Hermits of 100 Mile Bakery about her roots in the slow food movement and how she brings local foods to her community. Now, here are your hosts, Candace Hunter and Sue Sierra Lupe. I'm Candace Hunter. And I'm Sue Sierra Lupe. And, and welcome, welcome to Real Herbalism Radio. Welcome, Lita. We're oh, so excited to have you here. Thank you. It's great to be here. Your bakery is one of the ones I absolutely adore, not just in okay. Springfield, but in the whole Eugene Springfield area. Oh, I love, I mean, you. it's got wonderful ambiance, the herbs hanging up from the rafters <laughs> in the fall. It's awesome. Well, you yeah. got you to gotta get them when they're growing. Oh, yeah. 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 It's like tagged into this old church. Yes. Yes. It's, yes. The, it's the old office for the church. That we turned into our own bakery. Yeah, it's it's warm, it's quaint, it's got this feeling of presence without being like overwhelming stately church. I mean, it's not a cathedral, but Mm -hmm. you know, yeah, it's it's, wonderful. It's still got the windows from the original. I was just going to say, I love the windows. Windows, (laughs) really nice. I love them too, and I love how many there are. So we get a pretty good reflection on what is what the weather feels like every day. Right. So we've got half of our walls are windows. Yeah. Well, one of the things I love about that is that in a very physical way, it communicates what you're doing with the foods that you're preparing there. It's really rooted in the place, what's been here. I mean, that church has been standing for an awfully long time, Mm -hmm. you know, and at the same time, you've got these wonderful new foods that are coming out. I mean, you know, Teff and cheesecake, it was awesome. It was so delicious, but I would never have thought to put Teff together with cheesecake. Oh, I got an eyeball. I got an eyeball. is an awesome little grain, and and I don't mean little to you know to be little. It it's just a tiny, tiny grain about the size of a poppy seed. Many years ago, it fell out of fashion when we were industrializing wheat. And mm-hmm. grains because it was oh so many many years ago many many oh, years okay. ago like, so I didn't like make a bad Facebook post and suddenly became unpopular right okay. Okay. all right but all right it, it didn't used to work that quickly so, mm-hmm. so yeah. but it took a lot of work to process it oh I bet because it's so small so small mm-hmm. but it's coming back into our diets now in this area because one it grows here and two it's a really wonderful tasty high protein and gluten free grain. Well, like quinoa, does yeah. it grow kind of like that? Like um, there's a bunch of little seeds on a it's smaller. It's even, it's even smaller. smaller. So yeah. it's a, like it midget looks, wheat kind it of thing. It looks like a or, wild grass as opposed to like if you look out into the field, it looks furry. You know, it's it just looks like a... Not Ewok furry, but more like a... Well, kind of Ewok furry. Oh, it's fluffier than just a regular old beautiful grain of wheat when you look at it and you think oh pastoral image you know this mm-hmm. is more like what is the why didn't yeah. anybody mow that you and know? it's growing right here it's growing, it's growing right here right here in the willamette valley and it sounds like you have been there where it grows with the fluffiness i have seen it i have uh, visited the Hunton's farm 
and seen the teff growing and seen um, when I was there, there were fields of wheat, spelt and barley. And then we saw other grains that had been preserved while we were at the farm. Mm-hmm. Camas Country Mill is the Hunton's project. And that's where I get the majority of my flour from. Okay. And I couldn't agree with you more about that concept of what I'm doing, fitting into the church, the church mm-hmm. being there a long time, but still doing something new. And I feel like that Teff cheesecake is actually the perfect example because mm-hmm. everybody knows what cheesecake is, but I, I don't know of anybody else who's made Teff crust cheesecake, no, but I've it fits our needs so. for a community because, yeah. you know, we've got so many people coming in looking for a gluten-free Treat. Oh, yeah. Yeah. no gluten. No yeah. gluten. You missed yeah. that part. You missed that part. Did you say that? She said that. Everybody else knows. Everybody else. 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 So, yeah. so, and that's, so that comes to that whole, this is your hundred mile. You're mm-hmm. giving, getting grains, which is tough to get a while ago, getting grains from the Willamette Valley. Was Impossible not so to great. get five years ago. Right. Yeah. But now people are growing them. People are growing them. It, is it, it took, because of demand or? It took a bit of a gamble and the, and the seed, the grass seed industry, business, yes. industry, uh, plummeted plummeting yeah. exactly yeah. so it took yeah. it took a bit of that so then farmers are looking around looking to see what else is possible and if you do look back at history mm-hmm. Oregon grew a lot of grains just yeah. up into the 1950s right yeah. we had grain mills everywhere yeah. and then which makes a lot of sense the climate yeah. here is perfect for growing grain right I mean exactly you know, it grows grass seed really well, so obviously grain's going to grow right, really well. Right. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So the yeah, so so uh, hummingbird and Camas Country Mill. Uh-huh. Yes, they went in on a um, project to start a mill, and mm-hmm. the Huntons grew some acreage, and then it was successful. And here we are, six years later, with the Huntons putting in uh, mill number three. Nice. And then we also have other grain growers in the area. I also get grain from uh, Green Willow Grains in Brownsville, and they're all organic uh, farmers who have been in this area farming for a really long time and focused on on farming organically. Mm-hmm. And then another uh, really sweet and very small-scale farm, Lonesome Whistle, they've, oh, been, yeah. um, they've been farming – grains for just about as long and they're they're growing really a pretty amazing assortment of grains on their very small acreage Mm -hmm. Uh, one of the things that they're doing that i'm just in love with is the abenaki corn and this Mm -hmm. corn is beautiful when you look at it it's got lots of color on the kernels Mm -hmm. and then when it grinds up you can still see little flecks of red. And oh, purple. how pretty. Very oh my pretty. But then even if you weren't looking at it and eating into it, the thing that's unusual is that it's got a lot of body. So it cooks up and it tastes like popcorn and it has more of a mouthfeel of like a bread. Hmm. It's got oh, wow. so much going on. Wow. And so that's I, not I what you that. think about when you think about corn. You know, no. Corn and cornmeal. I'm thinking tamales and corn tortillas when you're, mm-hmm. right. you know, 
Yeah. yeah. Good. I love those things, but not bread. They're not a bread. That's not, yeah. it's not a real grain. <laughs> but it's, I, I have, I have really enjoyed working with that. It's been delicious. So is your, is that your bakery, the hundred mile bakery, you really are just getting most of your stuff from hundred miles radius of the bakery of the bakery. So, and, and now that the grass seed industry has kind of fizzled in this area, now it's easier for you to get these things that were really hard to source. What about other items? Um, Cause you got, you have a lot of things you're dealing with. I looked at your website. There's a, there's a lot of items on there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's a lot of ingredients. It's a lot of ingredients. I started with the concept out of my home kitchen and started experimenting to see what I could get. When, when was that? Uh, two years ago. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Two years and a month ago <laughs> or two months ago, something like that. I'm trying to remember when I finally uh, went out on my own. It was um, actually April fool's day. Oh, hey. <laughs> the day that I was officially self-employed two years ago. That's awesome. Go figure. <laughs> um, but I started experimenting and I started a Facebook page that was called 100 Mile Bakery Project because I wasn't mm-hmm. sure if I could actually do it. Mm-hmm. I started with breads because I knew that we had the grain mills yeah. and we had the flour. Mm-hmm. So maybe we don't have the yeast or the salt, but we've got that mm-hmm. majority mm-hmm. ingredient. Um, so started there and then started kind of playing around with other things. Uh, it, it took me about a month of uh, research and development in the Sprout Kitchen before mm-hmm. I opened for mm-hmm. business. I did a lot of um, baking there and there were a lot of failures because the uh. flour, the grain, everything is different. It is, yeah. And then and the, it makes such a huge difference in baking. I mean, we've been... Yeah an industrialized nation where you go and you buy your bag of like King Arthur or gold medal flour and you expect it to act this way today. And in five years, it's supposed to act the exact same way. Yes. It's always the same. And part of the local food movement and slow food is about recognizing the ebb and flow of everything around you, including your food, right? Mm -hmm. That's it. That's it. Exactly. And even uh, to, to up until now, uh, we get a bag of flour and the bag of flour might sit differently. So it'll, it'll mm. the top of the bag is going to be a different consistency than the bottom oh, of the bag. Right. Oh. So it's mm. really taught us, uh, me and my baker to pay attention to every single batch that we make. We are responding mm-hmm. to the recipe. We're not just following the recipe. This is not, right. this is not friendly engaged. Yeah. You're fully hostess, engaged. Hostess, We're fully uh, engaged. <clears throat> Hostess yeah. treats or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No gentrification. No gentrification. Well, huh. so the people that don't know, just go through yeah, what, what Sprout is real quickly. Sure. Um, Sprout is a regional food hub, and it's set in an old church in Springfield, Oregon. Um, and it's got it's multifaceted. It has a very large commercial use kitchen that can be rented out. Um, right now there are three incubator restaurants, young restaurants getting going. And, uh, Nedco is, um, in charge of the whole Sprout project. They rent out the space to the restaurants. There are also, uh, two tenant spaces and hundred mile bakery occupies one of the tenant spaces. The other is, uh, occupied by claim 52 brewing and they have the Abbey there. So it's kind of a fun place to be. The other thing that happens there on a weekly basis all throughout the year is the farmer's market mm-hmm. on Friday evenings from three to seven. And yeah. it's a beautiful place to go get vegetables. You are inside of an old church 
cathedral when you're Mm -hmm. buying your vegetables. And going back to that tough cheesecake, right? (laughs) It's classic, but it's new. And that's what I love about the space is that it still has this absolute feeling of community connectedness and really love. It's just that it's not focused on religion now. It's focused mm-hmm. on food community. and the way that food builds yeah. community. Yeah. yeah. And that's, that's what Sprout's about. Yeah. You mentioned at one point that for you, food is like theater. Yeah. I mean, in so many ways, that's exactly what Sprout is all about. It really is, you know, it's dramatic, but sometimes subtle. It's not high drama, but it's there. You know, I, I don't it. know how to put it into words. <laughs> I, think, I think you just did. And, and that's, and that's how I feel. I mean, just, just going to work. I, I love it. And I love the energy that's in Springfield right now. There's a real Renaissance going on. So yeah. people Arts there. festivals and sidewalk yes. chalk festivals. And yeah. Yeah. It's kind of fun. It's awesome. It is, yeah. Yeah. It's so fun. And the city is really excited about it. Yeah. So we're one block down from the city. Yeah, from the downtown strip. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so we get a lot of support from them. And it's wonderful to be in a place where people get it. Yeah, definitely. Yes. We just, um, there was an interview or someone wrote an article about Springfield in the weekly a couple weeks ago. Mm -hmm. And they just trashed the place. And I was like so happy. It's like, oh, just, That's right. Stay away. Just, yeah. just keep your people over there. We got a thing going on over here. We're, We're loving fine. it here. Yeah. Yeah. They were just very disappointed at the nightlife and all this oh, stuff. Oh, wow. Right. Yeah. It was a really, really negative article about about Springfield. I mm. almost thought that it was maybe written by a Springfielder, like an underground Springfielder with that yeah. intention. Exactly. Oh, because exactly. the concepts were so uneducated. They were right. so yeah baseline and just so yeah yeah but it's kind of like we want to keep the riffraff out you know this is a good secret let's keep it secret springfield has been a a bedroom community for eugene for a long time and you see it in the traffic patterns Uh so once once we had the economic crash then a whole bunch more people moved from eugene they lost their Mm -hmm. houses or they they decided that the rent in eugene was horrible and they Mm -hmm. came to to springfield and now Mm -hmm. they're just commuting to their Eugene based (laughs) work and then coming back here. And now we're starting to see people treating, treating Springfield as a little more of a, I want, I don't want to go all the way over there. I work over there. Exactly. So I want something here. I want something a little more family. And that's, and that's Mm -hmm. how exactly where I, how I ended up where I am now with the bakery. I, I was a, Sweet Life Patisserie for many years in Which Eugene. Which is in Eugene, yeah. Mm-hmm. I bought a house in Springfield because I wanted a house and a yard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Eugene, yeah, I could figure. have either, but One or the in other, Springfield, yeah. I could have both. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I bought a house, and then I thought that I would just treat it as my bedroom community. But then this really cool thing happened where I met a bunch of people who were a lot like myself, mm-hmm. who were you know, twenties, thirties wanted to just have a space, a yard mm-hmm. and wanted to garden. And that was more important mm-hmm. than being close to the Bermuda triangle mm-hmm. and yeah. different priorities. And so I have found the best community that I could ever ask for in my neighborhood. And that was a shocker right. for me. I did not, I did not move there thinking that I would have one friend in the right. entire town. Mm-hmm. And now yeah, Springfield's I've, surprising. I mean, it really, great. it's got a very community minded attitude. Mm-hmm. So we have good roads. We take care of the schools, mm-hmm. you know, and we don't talk about it. We just mm-hmm. do it. 
Yeah. You know, <laughs> well, <laughs> and how it did makes you end a difference. Up here from, so you were in Eugene, but before yeah. then, yeah, what you've, were you doing? you've been in the slow foods movement and the local, I mean, you were doing local floor before it was a word. You know, <laughs> <laughs> Ultra you've been doing that. So how did how did you get started? Where did where have you come from? So wow, well I have to you know what when you when you ask me that I have to go all the way back to my parents just to say that you know they were back to the landers and they actually did it. I grew up in South Alabama, right close to the coast, and both of my parents um, instilled in me the importance of being able to pick blueberries. And nice. then put them directly on your ice cream yeah. <laughs> with no shopping cart involved. Right. Um, and, and that's what they did. My, my family is, uh, there are a lot of farmers. Nice. And so my first job was selling watermelons on the side of the road in South Sweet. Alabama. Um, not easy when it's a hundred no. degrees outside. No, it's hot. You know, it's um, hard to keep those things cold, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> people exactly. want them cold. But you know, it taught me. It definitely. It just. It taught me a lot about food from the very beginning. And they, my family, you know, definitely just instilled that importance. Why it's so important. Why it tastes so much better. So that's been with me from from birth. Um, and then I think that what started happening as I got older, moved out of the home, went to college going to school and being around people and realizing that they didn't know the first thing about growing a lettuce plant and how easy it is to grow a lettuce plant in a window box, even when you're in college, yeah. even in a dorm, you can right. grow a lettuce. And so I, I kind of started looking around me and realizing that that a lot of people didn't know this. This wasn't common knowledge. I didn't right. know. I thought everybody right. knew how to grow yeah. a lettuce plant, whatever. <laughs> um, and then as I you know, as I progressed, um, through college, I think once I graduated, it was really, that was when I realized that food was really important to me and farming was really important to me and trying to figure out how to combine those mm-hmm. and, and still be creative, still mm-hmm. have an outlet for my creativity and, and, and have it be a, a, a daily exercise in creativity. That was mm-hmm. kind of what I was trying to do. Um, so moved to, uh, Eugene, Oregon in 2001, actually moved into our apartment on September 11th, 2001. Oh my God. And so easy day to remember. And just thinking, gosh, I'm really glad I'm on the West coast. That was a good move. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, And trying to find a job was not so easy. Um, no, I had no idea how hard it would be in the first place, but then with that, with those circumstances, I don't know if you remember, but everybody sort of battened down the hatches Mm -hmm. and closed their windows and nobody was hiring, but yeah, Mm -hmm. uh, but did land a job at Metropole and worked there bakery, local bakery and worked there for close to two years. Mm -hmm. And then, um, went to a concert where they were talking about how great the vegan cheesecake was at Sweet Life. And uh, <laughs> what is this? What is this place? Um, got a job at Sweet Life and worked there for about 10 years. Nice. Now, not continuously, because about two years in, I decided that um, it was time to to try this food business on my own. Yeah, And um, that's when I moved out to the woods yeah out to the coastal hills yeah the coastal hills of oregon with my partner at the time and we started a a little cafe uh, to cater to the people commuting to the coast Mm -hmm. and from the coast and um 
it was a really interesting endeavor. There, the uh, town was population 450. I know. How, right? how is that? Super po- tiny. I, I have been by Walton. Uh, that's where you were. Mm-hmm. A, I don't a know. A billion times. And all I see is that store. There are yeah. houses. There are actually, where, like, I've seen like no. three houses. Yeah. I've said three. Oh, there are. They're houses and they're, they're each on, you know, pretty good pieces of property. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they're all gotta be glorious. far apart. Mm-hmm. I lived on the top of a mountain and the salmon nice. came right to my back door. It was, it was amazing. Heaven. Yeah. And that's why when we first went to look at the house, the question was, how can we make this a reality? How can we make it happen? Right. And so uh, my partner and I both commuted for the first year that we lived there. And then it's a long commute. It's a yeah. long commute. It's about 45 right. minutes. Um, beautiful through mm-hmm. hazelnut trees. It is gorgeous. Commute. Yeah, it's gorgeous. But yeah. that wears on you. It wears on you. Yeah. And, and when we were both <clears throat> very... Uh, we we were both very interested in starting our own business, mm-hmm. and so the opportunity came open. The mm-hmm. cafe, the the mm-hmm. one store, one cafe <laughs> town, <laughs> had the cafe come open, and we just we just jumped at it. And so we opened the greenhouse cafe in about two thousand three, maybe mm-hmm. two thousand four, something like that. There's some numbers in there. There were yeah. some, it was yeah. early two thousands. We're young. <laughs> what do you want? The yeah. years blur together. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But uh, but we started with the intention to grow and and preserve and then re you know sell what we grew mm-hmm. in the form of soups and sandwiches and pastries mm-hmm. out of the cafe. And we were successful with that for a couple of years. We uh, grew mostly nightshades. We did a lot of potatoes. Out of your garden. Out of our garden. Mm-hmm. A lot of tomatoes. And then we sourced locally from uh, Morning Glory uh, Farm that's mm-hmm. out there. And we also... They've really expanded. Yeah. They're like... Us, shop us closing was the best thing <laughs> because then they took over the espresso business. Okay. And I think that that's helped them a lot. Yeah. Right? So mm-hmm. that, yeah, that worked. They're a wonderful little farm to stop at. Yeah, yeah. they are. They're a wonderful farm and a wonderful family and they grow amazing strawberries. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They sure do. How that started happening. We mm-hmm. sourced fruit vegetables from them um also wintergreen farm in no right. yep yep and we, we were that's, doing a lot of that that's a lot we of being very local, local. We and that trying. was well before like that was at the very very beginning of the locavora movement really that, yeah i didn't know it was a movement i mean and that's that's the funny thing about it is that yeah. i and this is how i sort of tend to operate i just have an idea and i just run just with, with it, it. i yeah. run with it and that's how i tend to do what I do. I don't get too overwhelmed with what's happening around me mm-hmm. with what everybody else is doing. I just, right. I, just, <laughs> I just go for it. I just beeline it to whatever my destination is. Now it's time for a Real Herbalism Radio sponsor break. Hunter Creation is a full-service graphic design studio. They offer design for print like business cards, brochures, and large format banners. They also offer design for web specializing in self-hosted WordPress sites, e-commerce, and single splash pages. To top it all off, they can get just about anything printed for you at amazing prices, whether or not they do the design work. Visit their site at huntercreation.com for more information. Now, back to the show. So what's your motivation then? Was it just you wanted something? That's a good question. I think my motivation 
at that time mm-hmm. has, it's all about being on the land mm-hmm. and being close to the food that I was growing. Mm-hmm. And that was, you know, a lot, it was a lot of reflection of where I'd come from and how I wanted to share that experience with people. So they would just absolutely know from taste, things taste better when they are grown closer to home, Mm -hmm. when they stay close. So you're growing and baking your own home. Yeah. Okay. Right. Fair enough. But then what I, but what it's evolved into is this understanding of how incredibly important it is for us as an entire human population to pay attention to how we are transporting our food. Mm-hmm. The way that we are transporting our food is basically killing us. And yeah. <laughs> uh, if we didn't transport our food the way that we did, it would be possibly the number one po- air pollution cause decrease mm-hmm. to a to a level where, you know, maybe we'll survive a few more years <laughs> as, as humans. That would be cool. So that's, that's kind of uh, studying the local food movement, you start to understand how it's so connected to agricultural distribution. When you look at it, you realize how much food is moving by diesel fuel. Right. Well, and And, if you're starting to eat local, you're also changing your diet. And I think that's one of the key pieces to the local war movement. When people talk about how it takes, you know, more greenhouse gases to plant tomatoes in Minnesota, for instance, and you know, keep them growing and keep them working through the entire year when people want them. Mm-hmm. If you're thinking more about properly doing it, you don't have tomatoes all winter. Maybe you can up some, but so winter is not a time for tomatoes. And that's, I think that's one of the parts that when people start to, there have been arguments that the locavore movement actually increases greenhouse gases. But everyone that I've looked at from that isn't looking at the dietary change that happens when you eat local. Because right. you're eating teff instead of wheat. <clears throat> yeah. So you're, chain, you're, you're diversifying your foods past the standard eight. Yes. And also many people tend to move more in the direction of vegetarianism, not necessarily. <laughs> not necessarily. <laughs> you all. Not necessarily going full on weird vegetarian. Oh, thank you. <laughs> but you do, you start to, when you start looking at, okay, I'm going to eat, you know, steak tonight. I'm going to eat it and it's going to be from the steer that was raised by a guy that's 20 miles away from me. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it costs a certain amount. You, you start to eat smaller amounts. You get to know the farmers. You end up the food, the steer, the steak tastes a lot better. Mm-hmm. And it's a lot more satisfying because honestly, it is more packed with like nu- nutrients Nutrition. and flavor mm-hmm. and all of that. So true. So the result is that your portion of steak is actually, you know, the four ounces that it should be instead of the 12 ounces that you end up eating when you're having the, you know, feedlot style steaks. Mm-hmm. Well, you're and absolutely describing my soup special for the day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's exactly what you're doing. Because steak soup? Well, I call it wild soul. Uh, wild soup. How do you spell that? S O U L. Describe it for us. What is this? Well, so here's what we have a lot of right now. In the freezer, I have beef necks. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. And out in the world, we've got all these nettles coming in. Oh, yes. Yep. Yeah, they're so good. Well, <laughs> so combined, you know, you make a beef stock with the neck bone and you make a mm-hmm. bone broth and you cook it and cook it and cook it and cook it. You've got this amazing flavorful broth that's really good for you. And then you combine that with a nettle broth and nettles and 
Oh, God, that is nutrient-packed right there. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it's not, you know, it's still a thin soup, but mm-hmm. it's delicious, and it and it is. It's mm-hmm. it's everything you need, I, right. at least you know, that's what I needed today. <laughs> I used to, it used to be, even as little as six months ago, I would, someone say, oh, you know, it's great soup. I'd be like, oh, soup. Uh, even though I love soup, they'd give it to me, I'd eat it, I'd love it. Mm-hmm. And I have grown to really appreciate even the thin broth soups, how satisfying they are. Mm-hmm. I mean, now I'm finding myself actually looking at the menus going, oh, ooh, soup. Ooh, that looks like a good soup, which is, for me, a major change. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's and cool. part of it has been moving in the direction, in our family, we've been moving in the direction of reducing our meats, increasing our vegetables, you know, trying to be... We don't go as local as we might like, but trying to be more cognizant of what are the vegetables that we're eating and be more seasonal. Wouldn't mm-hmm. you say, Patrick? For sure. I mean, awesome. well, and, and cost has been a big drive. Yeah. You know I mean, yeah. Uh, beef is <laughs> really, really expensive. expensive. You're yeah. at the grocery store. And then if you want to have hormone-free, that, that's even the good know, twice stuff, or three yeah. times what the other is. So it's like, well, do I want the not-so-good beef? Or do I want the good beef? So now we've been choosing the good beef, but we use a lot smaller, a lot mm-hmm. smaller that's it. of it. Yeah. And exactly it. we go back to what you were saying is that you know, back in the day, if you will, and Michael Pollan talks about this, is that you know there used to be farms, vegetables, and on that farm you'd have pigs, and on that farm you'd have chickens, and you'd mm-hmm. have beef, and there was this symbiotic relationship between all of waste and what was coming in and the fertilizer, mm-hmm. and it was all this kind of a microcosm of food production, mm-hmm. and we got away from that with that monoculture. You know, mm-hmm. we're you know, this is this is right. a tomato farm, and this is what we. Yes. And this is a pig farm and this is what we do. So they separated that all out. Uh, So I think getting back into that idea of smaller farms, local areas doing, using that balance also doesn't deplete the land. Right. Especially in little valleys like us where we have a pocket of flat. So you can, you can grow in that pocket teff, like you were saying, if we're just living out in the flatlands, then having a massive farm that grows one thing is a little more doable. But here in our valley, we need to respect the geography that we have and then having a forest around it. That that also right. brings up different types of food that you can harvest from that area. Mushrooms. And mushrooms. <laughs> oh, we're big mushroom fans here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Totally. Do you do stuff with mushrooms in your oh, bakery? Just about every day. Yes. Okay, so did you put mushrooms in your soulful soup? The, so, the, the wild... The wild soul soup does wild not soul have soul. mushrooms. Okay. But what else did the you have? Other, the other nettle special did. Those mm-hmm. weren't wild mushrooms, but there's shiitake mushrooms that oh, are God, grown I love those things. Uh, up in Sayo. And the, yeah, shiitakes are awesome. And they're mm-hmm. so easy to grow. I mean, honestly, you get a little box with the. the, the, the I thing. haven't it's been successful growing shiitakes, but I've been really successful growing oysters. Oh, yes. Oh, I love those things. So that's another one that's really good. The shiitakes are really fun. They're flavorful. And I don't know if you had this experience or not after eating a lot of shiitakes, having wild dreams. Ah, no, I haven't, but that's pretty cool. There, yeah. Ooh, I might have to up my shiitake I'd, portion. Uh, yeah, yeah. Give, it a, give it a whirl. But this is, you know, someone who's <clears throat> been eating a lot of shiitakes only recently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. But we've got the last of the morels in the uh, refrigerator right now, and I don't know what I'm going to do with them, but I got to do something mm-hmm. with them. Some fun. Something. Yeah. yeah. And that's part of the seasonal thing for you, I bet, is you'll get other people bring in surprises like, oh, look at what I have oh, here. Yeah. And then now you've got to recipe it. That's you know, That it is out. the challenge. That is the fun. That is the joy. That is it. That's, mm-hmm. That is what is so much fun about 
what I do. And I hope that as the years progress, it just gets more fun because people will attempt to tease me with different things and, you know, and attempt Here's a to pile grow of dandelions. See what you can do with yeah. that. You cook with dandelions. Yes. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Somebody brings them to me. Yeah. I, I can't say that I've been too heavy into dandelion picking, but my mm. roommate usually beats me to it to make the mm. dandelion wine. So dandelion uh, wine. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, well, I, that's interesting. I mean, um, one of my clients are, uh, is a restaurant owner on the Oregon coast, and she was taking in um, local mushrooms from lots of different people that were picking. Mm-hmm. And the health department came in on her. That's right. And they, she said, "I can't do it anymore. I can't." You know, and these were local people that she knew. Then she would, you know, spend thirty, forty dollars for whatever mushrooms she was getting. It's because it wasn't being positively ID'd. Apparently, that's correct. I don't know. So uh, she, she set up an SOP just like any of the other businesses. So she just stopped. Mm-hmm. It was easier in her case. That's sad to stop accepting it and paying for that than to go from a, an actual supplier that she was using. So, oh man, and I fortunately, I do. I do have it easy with my ecological being in town they right. do yeah. buy mm-hmm. from local suppliers and they do certify yeah. no, totally. yeah. right so and that's where that's yeah. the process of that person yeah now now mm-hmm. if they want that with if she wants that or she does do that then she goes to you know a local place like like mycological but it's a bummer because that's that whole idea that you know in the old communities people would bring stuff in and yeah i'll buy that from you and then i'll make the dish and i'll sell it to the people and it'd be this whole chain right now mm-hmm. it's got to go through this approved network of suppliers so that you can provide and there's a reason for that yeah i understand there's a reason reason for it but it also i mean it'd be nice if we actually trusted the expertise that was there and then we actually had the expertise that we hadn't destroyed it with the monoculture and big Mm -hmm. pharma and industrialization of our food complex right that everybody knows what a chanterelle looks like right Like, can we just assume that but no we can't assume that and it could Mm -hmm. really hurt someone if they but even if you mushroom. buy, you know, if you mm-hmm. buy spinach, you know, how many times in the last five Grass, years, you've got you know, there, you yeah. follow the system and then the system has, is so large that, you know, oh, half the country is affected by E. coli because right. of the spinach producer. Yeah. yeah. They have the you bathrooms know, too uh, close to the fields. and Whatever. Yeah. You know, whatever, so you think yeah. you're doing the right thing, mm-hmm. but even at the end of that day, you know, it's not processed right, even right. though you follow the system. So doing local wars business has got to present complexities that you don't have when you're just doing it for yourself and your family. It certainly does. And just thinking about the, you know, those kinds of issues, I mean, just presenting a, presenting a wild food to someone who's never eaten it. I Mm -hmm. had someone Google it at their table. They're like, what is this? You know, is this edible? And then they they look up the medics, you know, list and they're like, oh, this has got high levels of something. Some constituents. Yeah. Um, so we get we get we get that, and they looked on WebMed. WebMed, and then I told them look up tomatoes on WebMed, right? And then it's a little bit, you know, it's it's okay, all right, okay. They all have something, something. Mm -hmm. But uh, so there's there's that aspect Mm -hmm. of of the you know the the tricks to sourcing. Um, But what I typically do is uh, unless we are catering if it's anything for the bakery i assume that no one is going to assume that they're coming in to get anything on any given day and that mm-hmm. is the way that i run my business the menus are written on dry erase board uh, yeah. on windows or dry erase marker on window panes and mm-hmm. it just gets wiped down when i run out of that thing and yeah. it, it might be gone for the day or it might be gone for the season and um mm-hmm. i'm not gonna find it that's one of the things i love going in there is that 
you go in and it's a whole new thing every single day. I mean, you know, some things might be, may, maybe were there yesterday, but there's new stuff constantly. That goes back to that, that seasonal idea. You know, when we were kids, peaches had a season. Oh, yeah. 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 You and devoured, a good reason for it, yeah, too. You devoured the peaches yeah. and then they were gone. Yeah. And then you'd always, Cherries, yeah, all or watermelon. And you'd mm-hmm. wait. Yeah. And then when they came, you were like, oh, yeah. And yeah. now it's like, oh, I can get peaches anytime. And I can get, no. Are they as good as in no, season? No, they are not. No, they're not. Mm-hmm. But I could make a peach pie if I had to today. Sure. Or if I needed right. to. But it won't be as good as it would be in, you know, August or September. Right. So I think I, I, there's something that I miss about the seasonal availability of things. Mm-hmm. You know, when it's always available, it's not special. Well, I have to say that in my very intimate surroundings, um, the friends I've made in mm-hmm. my community, we eat, we eat seasonally sure. mm-hmm. and we don't, I mean, I go over to a friend's house. I'm not going to see a peach on their table. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it would be very rare to yeah. see that. Unless of course it's peach season. Right. Right, right now. <laughs> I should say right now in, in March. Right. right. It would be unusual. That's yeah. Sorry. Of course. Yeah. Come August. Yeah. Oh, one man. of the things I right. think that's, that kind of keys into that slow move, that slow food movement where people are slowing down and paying attention to what they're doing. And when you combine that with the local eating local and, and therefore, because you can't avoid it if you're eating local, eating seasonally, mm-hmm. you end up your taste buds shift so that you start to really feel or taste the differences. You start to smell how tomatoes really smell when it's the right season. And I think that that is one of the bigger challenges for me um, as a business owner. I'm, I am coming into contact with people of all walks of life on every day. Mm -hmm. And I find it to be uh, a challenge to, to try to meet everyone with where they're coming from. So we do have people that back away Mm -hmm. slowly like, oh my Once God. they realize <laughs> where ah. they are. <laughs> but, but what I, you know, I, I take it as a, as a challenge and I challenge my employees to try to meet them where they are, to try to get them to understand one thing about who we are and why we're doing it. And, you know, just try to connect with them on, and on one level of food, of eating, of entertaining, of being visually impressive, you know, just mm-hmm. try to try to find where they are in that mo- moment of where am I? What am I, <laughs> what am I doing? What am I doing here? Um, and that could be a challenge when it comes to tomatoes on a meatball sandwich. Right. I mean, you know, I, I, uh, I do have tomatoes on a meatball sandwich. They are frozen cherry tomatoes. They were frozen whole at the height of the season. I've done that. Yeah. yeah. Amazing. They're yeah. so good. They're so good. They go in the pan and they get heated up with the meatballs and they kind of um, melt down. And mm-hmm. I leave the skins on because mm-hmm. I am far past tr- mm-hmm. pulling skins out of a... Yeah. Of a fresh, like roasted tomato situation. Yeah, so not happening. (laughs) Yeah, and it's just, and it's so beautiful because there's this little tomato that was, you know, this whole fruit moments Mm -hmm. ago and then it squishes down and it's, I want people to have the experience Mm -hmm. of the whole fruit. Yeah. And, you know, going back to meeting them where they are, how do you get them to try it? How do you get them to not be afraid of eating a tomato skin? Right. Um, (laughs) That's an issue. 
That's what I was going to say. What is that? That's for real? There are, actually. I mean, how many recipe books? I could pick off any probably any oh, random yeah. shelf yeah. it says yeah. first thing peel the tomatoes I'm like really yeah no peel the carrots yeah no so not happening <laughs> you think i'm gonna peel are you kidding i'm not gonna peel it this is not happening so i have to peel my beets we had a really fun fall <laughs> celebration at sprout this year and one of the things that i did was a little pizza demo and my pizza demo consisted of throwing every vegetable in the world in a blender with roasted tomatoes so you just conceal it right you just conceal the carrots without the the skins or with the skins you know the supposedly Um, ugly part which honestly i like the skin so so i i I sometimes feel like that is part of my challenge is that Mm -hmm. if i can present it in a way where people understand it immediately visually that's the Mm -hmm. first thing Mm -hmm. and then scent smell you know make it something where they it's it's welcoming and those are the two Mm -hmm. first things and they bite into it, they bite into a piece of Teff shortbread for the first time. They might not like it. Mm-hmm. I didn't like Teff the first time I bit into it, but mm-hmm. then I went hunting for it, like after, mm-hmm. after a while. Yeah, it pulls mm-hmm. you, drags, mm-hmm. drags you in. <laughs> yeah. Possibly kicking you got a so screen. intrigued. Like, face. She's a Teff hunter. It was oh, a Teff okay. peanut butter cookie <laughs> that yeah. KMS Country Mill had on their on their table. And, this, and the first time I had it, then I had Sweet Life making Teff cookies for... <laughs> wow. So the dairy, so we'll go back just one more thing. Like, so the cheesecake in that, so you're getting all the cream, dairy, cheese, everything locally as well, too? Cream cheese from Nancy's okay, Creamery. Nancy. My know. dairy is Lockmead. Local yeah. places, yeah. Yeah. So, what about the coffee? Coffee's not local. My beverages are my stipulations. They, I Although your tea provider, you've got a local fellow that. Well, import some of your teas. Everyone touches them locally. Yeah. <laughs> um, I have a couple of really interesting tea folks. My, mm-hmm. my coffee is roasted locally by Equator. Tea Petals, they do blends of teas and she uses the Sprout Kitchen to do her organic tea blends. And then Young Mountain Tea is yeah. really neat business model happening out of Sprout as well. Mm-hmm. And he is actually helping uh, impoverished farmers in the Himalayan mountains get started growing tea. I was I was honestly I mean I love tea and I usually my teas usually come from you know Vietnam, Taiwan, China, you know, the the standard Asian teas and mm-hmm. I, I buy really nice teas and mm-hmm. you know I really couldn't even stomach a Lipton anymore, honestly. Mm-hmm. I mean I, I don't really do bag teas. I always do good stuff, right? And I've had Indian teas and for the most part, they have a harsh quality I don't like. I was really, really astounded by Young Mountain Teas. Whatever he's got that he's helping them build, they don't have that harsh quality. They're really good teas. I was really impressed. That's awesome. I, I was shocked. I'm amazed. He gave me a simple a sample of the white tea that mm-hmm. he just got. And this is the this is the Ooh. group of people that he has taken from. Uh, conception of idea to fruiting of plant mm-hmm. in the past three years and it is amazing and i am nice. i do not know about tea mm-hmm. i but i know that this is amazing i know it's yeah. the best tea i've ever had and i think a lot of that has to do with um you know understanding what you're doing and yeah. just having so much thought going mm-hmm. into your product. Yeah. And that's, I think that's where it's coming from. These people have a lot of hope Mm -hmm. in this program. Yeah. Yeah. And they're clearly doing it right. 
I mean, yeah. they're really, they're clearly caring because that's one of the things that Indian teas in the past often, they had been large scale, more larger scale mm-hmm. farms. Mm-hmm. And I, I always got the sense from them that the, the, the connection between the people and the plants and the land was more forced. Mm-hmm. Whereas with his teas, and I think that's where that harsh quality shows up. It's, it's kind of a, Treating it like it's a thing. You have to have this much for us or we're not even going to buy you. Yeah, exactly. And Mm -hmm. I mean, the whole process of doing a proper tea is, I mean, the tea is a growing bush. It's alive and you have to have a connection. The land is alive and you have a connection. And the people that do it really well and that produce really good teas tend to have that. Mm -hmm. And what I'm seeing from his teas are, wow, he clearly is building that in his farmers and his farmers are bringing that and creating wonderful teas as a result. It's, mm. it's true. Yeah. I, you get to be a part of it. Yeah. Be a part yeah. Of it. Thank it's you awesome. for being a pioneer it's in the so field. Cool. It's yeah. so exciting. Yeah. And I, I mean, I, I, I feel definitely like I was in the right place at the right time. Mm-hmm. Finally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And thanks for sharing your, your information with us oh, and the yeah. readers yeah. and listeners. My pleasure. People that are interested in uh, finding out a little bit more about Hunter Mile Bakery, where uh, Lita's bakery is, go to 100milebakery.com and you can see her seasonal menu there. And you have catering too. I yes. Understand. I love to cater. Yep. Um, we, we do a very unique and individualized style of catering. Mm-hmm. And there are no menus to start with. It's a conversation. It's a, we sit down and talk with people and find out what it is that they want. And I've been catering now for just about eight years. Wow, so great. much longer than hundred mile bakery has been around, but doing mm-hmm. this style, this is what's carried through from my last business through mm-hmm. until now. That's great. Continue to. Yummy. We'll have to go and sample some more wares. I'm telling you, the things we have to do at Real Herbalism Radio. <laughs> oh, it's so hard. It's tough. <laughs> well, if you want some more information and some links about the sources that we mentioned on this program, then check out our show notes on realherbalismradio.com and make sure you sign up for our free newsletter with uh, links to recipes and how-tos and ebooks that is written by the Practical Herbalist, as well as more detailed information on the topics we discussed on this podcast as we publish them on realherbalismradio.com. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Pinterest, join us in our conversations on Twitter. And thank you again, Lita. Thank you. you. This show is brought to you by Hunter Creation. Helping you find print and online marketing solutions that fit your needs. Visit them at huntercreation.com.